Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 152. We'll begin and conclude the book of Malachi with a brief summary of chapters 1 through 3 and follow with some thoughts about memory, surveillance, and behavior. So a quick note about pronunciation. I'm sticking with the convention of pronouncing the name of the book the English way, but the names of the protagonists in the original Hebrew. So it's the book of Malachi, and its protagonist is Malachi. Got it? Good. So Malachi is the twelfth book of the twelve, and the last book of the middle section, the N or Nun in Tanakh. Malachi was doing his thing during the period of what biblical historians call the Second Aliyah, when Ezra and Nehemiah came to the land of Israel with a contingent of returnee Babylonian Jews. There's some dispute about when this happened exactly. Ezra reports in his eponymous book that he arrived, um, returned, in quote, the seventh year of Artaxerxes, but which Artaxerxes is he referring to? If Artaxerxes I, then we're talking about 458 BCE, unless there is a scribal error in the document, and Ezra meant to say the 37th year, in which case it would put his return at 428 BCE, unless we're talking about Artaxerxes the second in which case, it's that monarch's seventh year which places the return at 398 BCE. Who knows? Malachi was also doing his thing during a period of serious moral decline. Kohanim in the temple on the take, the people aloof and either ignorant or spiteful of the Torah's demands on propriety. And for Malachi, this is not correlation, this is causation. The Kohanim corrupting the temple is the source of the people's immorality. But instead of coming out swinging against the Kohanim, which he does eventually in verse 6, he begins with an altogether different message. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Quote, I have shown you love, said the Lord, but you ask, how have you shown us love? After all, declares the Lord, Esav is Jacob's brother, yet I have accepted Jacob and have rejected Esav. I have made his hills a desolation, his territory a home for beasts of the desert. I guess one doesn't know how good one has it until you see someone else having it bad. Then Malachi pivots to the Kohanim, who are defiling the temple with their lackadaisical and disrespectful behavior. Quote, a son should honor his father and a slave his master. Now, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the reverence due me? Chapter 2 continues taking a strip off the Kohanim who have disrespected God to God's face in the sacred confines and set a terrible example for the people. Quote, you have made the many stumble through your rulings. You have corrupted the covenant of the Levites. And for this infidelity to God, and apparently also to the women of Israel, the people will suffer. And when they suffer, they turn to God. But Malachi recounts, quote, You have wearied the Lord with your talk, but you ask, by what have we wearied him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord, and in them he delights. Or else, where is the God of justice? The answer comes in chapter 3. And the answer is... We know your time is valuable. Thank you for holding. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. 
and God's eventual arrival with swift justice will not be pleasant for everyone. Quote, he shall act like a smelter and purger of silver, and he shall purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they shall present offerings in righteousness. And once the Kohanim have been purified, all the sacrifices will be pure too. But before that happens, there has to be some house cleaning amongst the people too. Quote, I will act as a relentless accuser against those who have no fear of me, who practice sorcery, who commit adultery, who swear falsely, who cheat laborers of their hire, and who subvert the cause of the widow, orphan, and stranger, said the Lord of hosts. All of those who thought they could defy God and get away with it, God, like Alexa, was listening, and like Alexa, he kept all the data. And quote, Lo, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the coming of the awesome, fearful day of the Lord. He shall reconcile parents with children and children with their parents, so that when I come, I do not strike the whole land with utter destruction. Lo, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the coming of the awesome, fearful day of the Lord. And on that cleansing note, here endeth the lesson. Malachi says, quote, The Lord has heard and noted it, and a scroll of remembrance has been written at his behest concerning those who revere the Lord and esteem his name. To modern ears, this sounds like Total Information Awareness, a 2003 program of the U.S. government designed on the concept of predictive policing. That is, gathering data about individuals in order to participate and prevent crimes before they're committed. Pre-crime, if you will. Mr. Marks, by mandate of the District of Columbia Pre-Crime Division, I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubin. It was take place today, April 22nd, at 0800 hours, four minutes. No, I didn't do anything. Sarah! Give the man his hand. Or the revelations of Edward Snowden, a former CIA employee who in 2013 blew the whistle on the National Security Agency and the, quote, Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance's program of surveillance, which directly accessed Google and Yahoo accounts of individuals, citizens, listening in on their phone calls, tracking everything they did on the internet, including harvesting millions of email and instant messages contact lists, searching email content, as well as tracking and mapping the location of cell phones. These instances of surveillance, I think all would agree, they're nefarious and invasive and simply bad, and all means should be exercised to force our governments to stop spying on us. However, since Snowden, there have been almost weekly revelations about how much someone is keeping track of our words and noting them and writing scrolls of remembrance and using these scrolls of remembrance to manipulate our behavior. Hey Google, how are you today? Great, thanks. What can I do for you? All hail our robot overlords. It's fairly axiomatic to say that when something online is free, you're not the customer, you're the product. But the extent of that commodification up to now has been opaque. We didn't know how much of a product we've become. Yes, we traded our data for convenience, all those apps that have become part of our everyday lives for free, and a platform where you can share our lives with our friends, keep track of birthdays, have emotional affairs, also for free. I'm at my keyboard with
But our data wasn't enough. These platforms realized that it not only had the data, but unrivaled access to our behavior. And for the first time in human history, human behavior can be easily observed and measured and quantified into units of data. And that data could be analyzed and used to predict future behavior. And that information could be kept internally and fed back into the machine to keep us clicking and scrolling, or it could be sold to advertisers. Those advertisers would then use the behavioral predictions to try to modify our behavior, getting us to buy what the advertisers are selling by approaching us with a proposition that is eerily prescient and eerily well-timed. Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. I'm sure you're thinking, so what? Being bombarded with ads is part of life these days. Wouldn't it be better if those ads were actually for things I wanted? Sure, I guess so, if that's all targeted advertising did. Except targeted advertising doesn't just bring you ads for snow tires before the season's first frost, it also brings you a monopoly, as those companies with the biggest data will get all the ad dollars. And I don't have a PhD in economics, but I do know that when one company has a monopoly, it kills innovation, it kills competition, as well as welcomes abuse and discrimination against vulnerable groups. For example, certain communities say, oh, you know, I don't know, black or Hispanic ones might be blocked from seeing certain housing or employment advertising. Financial scammers and grifters can more easily target vulnerable individuals. Or other entities like, oh, I don't know, Cambridge Analytica can weaponize data scraped from 87 million user profiles to stoke outrage and spread carefully calibrated fake news to sway public opinion on behalf of certain candidates. And without any competitor or government to regulate it, one only has the word and good faith of the monopolist to do better next time. And you know what? I still managed to find snow tires in the years before snow tire ads found me. I think what it comes down to is a simple question. Does targeted advertising make your life and my life better? Does it? So when Malachi describes God as the ultimate data collector, should we also cringe a little and wonder how God is using that data to manipulate our behavior? Except here's the thing. I wish God would use all that data for that purpose. I mean... God's agenda, as expressed by the words of the prophets, is anything but opaque. Malachi tells us God doesn't want people to practice sorcery or commit adultery or swear falsely or cheat laborers or subvert the cause of the widow, orphan, and stranger. Imagine what kind of world we would live in if God could figure out some way to use all that data to predict the behavior of those sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, etc., and manipulate them into stopping sorcering, adultering, or perjuring. I guess God, unlike Mark Zuckerberg, isn't prone to abusing divine power. God leaves all of that just for us. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. 
I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 153 when we begin the final section of the Tanakh, the Ketuvim, with Psalms chapters 1 through 3.